Thanks for tuning in to the New Life South Coast weekly sermon podcast. Due to the coronavirus crisis, we're holding church services online until further notice, and we encourage you to join us. For info and updates, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at New Life SoCo and visit our website at newlifesouthcoast.com. Now here's an encouraging word. Hey friends, I want to welcome you to another Wednesday Bible study. Uh, my name is Marco DeBarros, pastor here of New Life. And um, just before we get going, I want to announce once again that tomorrow the food pantry will be open uh, for anyone who is in need, 5.30 to 7.30, right here at 1331 Cove Road. So spread the word uh, that you can just come. There's no questions asked. You don't need to show anything. Uh, but if you need some basic goods, uh, just come to the church tomorrow and we do our best to, to help you. Um, today, I invited a couple of friends of mine um, to come have a conversation around this topic of race and law enforcement and the, the, the tension that's in the air right now. And so I invited uh, Eric and Vare to come and, and, and have a conversation because as you can see, they have that, that Oreo cookie uh, love going on. Uh, and I've known them for a very long time. And the other thing, too, is that Eric is a police officer in the state of Massachusetts. And, um, and I've known them for how, how many years now? At least over a decade, at least, we've known each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, first of all, thanks for being willing to be here to have this conversation with us. I thought it would be fun if we kind of started with, on a lighter note, how um, I remember when um, we were still back in Smithfield, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. right? And we were, at that point, doing the young adults ministry, yeah. right? And um, I don't even know what I was preaching on that particular day. Um, but, you know, I got all my tangents, yeah. right? And I remember said something along the lines of, you know, if you need to ask someone out, this is, <laughs> this is your moment, go for it. Not realizing that yeah. that day, Eric was in the audience yeah. and he was feeling that urge <laughs> to ask you out, for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, why don't you fill us in from there? Because maybe you can tell the story better. Yeah, you know, uh, so I met Beret through the, uh, like the usher ministry at our church and uh, we had become very close friends and, uh, and I started developing feelings for her, but she, had, she didn't show any like, sign of interest towards me at all. And so... I was kind of confused. I wasn't sure if I should even take the chance. And so it was kind of something going through my mind. And it was, it was very strongly, you know, going through my mind. And I remember going to that, that meeting, um, that, um, that sermon that you preached. And when you had said that, I knew right away that was God, you know, <laughs> speaking to me directly, saying, go ahead and ask, ask her out, you know, and, yeah. and the rest is history. And he did it twice, though. Yeah. Remember, he did it twice. Well, oh, oh, it was, it was it twice? twice? Yeah, you interrupted your sermon twice. And you're oh, like, yeah, whoever yeah, it is, yeah. please. You're like, just yeah. do it, man. Yeah. Ask her out. Yeah. Just do yeah. it. And I was sitting with my friends. I was like, I know it's me. Yeah. I know it's me. So you knew it was coming, right? I know it was me. I know it was <laughs> okay. me. I was like, it's me. I know yeah. it's me. <laughs> oh, man. And funny. the rest is history. The rest is history yeah. how, how long you guys been married now? Since 2012. Yeah, it'll be eight years in October. Yep, eight years in October. Mm-hmm. Eight years, and now you guys have a young man. Yes, yeah. we do. Little we had nine month old. Yep. Yeah. His name is Isaac. He's yeah. super cute. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, thank you so much for being willing mm-hmm. to have this conversation. I think it's important that we, we more than ever, we have dialogues like this. Yeah. You know, I think the the process of healing 
happens through dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. Happens through people being willing to, to talk about these yeah. things openly, you know? Yeah. Right. So the first question that um, I have for you guys is how are you guys processing what's happening in our nation right now? Like what's, what's, what's those first initial instinct mm. and reaction? Yeah. You know, I think for me, um, when I see, I'll, I'll start with the George Floyd video specifically, because I think that's what kicked off a lot of this right now. Um, as a police officer, when I see that video and I see, you know, Mr. Floyd on the ground and he's, he's not resisting, he's saying he can't breathe, you know, and I see an officer, you know, using force and holding him down to the point where he becomes unconscious and, and eventually dies, um, there's no doubt in my mind that was totally excessive force, you know, and, and I've talked to fellow officers who agree totally with that, that it was, it was 100% wrong, um, it was excessive force, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is not the first time that something like this has happened. You know, in my career, you know, eight and a half years as an officer, um, I remember in 2014 to 2016, there was a whole bunch of incidents that happened, and it also kicked off uh, riots and protests, and, um, and so because this is obviously an ongoing issue, you know, I know this is, there is an injustice, uh, that racism is real in our country, unfortunately. And, um, you know, I think something needs to be done. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing the right thing, peacefully protesting, um, you know, and, and making their voices heard to have change in our country. And, and I commend them. Um, but unfortunately, at the same time, we also have people who are destructing, you know, destroying our cities, who are, you know, using violence, uh, to hurt people, to hurt other officers. And so when I see, you know, when I see the off, you know, an officer using excessive force, when I see this violence going on, um, all I can really see is evil, you know, in different forms, you know. Mm. And um, as a believer, I think I have to process it through a spiritual, spiritual eyes. And I always remember, you know, um, what Paul says in Ephesians, um, that, you know, the fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the rulers of this, the dark world. And so I have to, see it as this is really a spiritual a spiritual darkness behind all these actions and um and it's and the fight is not against a specific race a specific profession it's it's these these uh the, you know spiritual forces that are yeah. working yeah for me, it's been a lot of crying. <laughs> so um, for anyone who's had a baby, you know your hormones just like, you become a whole different person. So now I cry at everything anyway. So uh, so now many of my nights, you know, in the last couple of weeks have been crying, you know, so it was crying because of coronavirus, all of the people suffering, um, all of the changes, you know, that have happened to our world. And then it's crying because of, you know, racial injustice. And then, um, and then I don't know, you know, who's seen it, but then the, the Amy Cooper video was released. So it's just like, kind of like a come and other things, you know, that we don't even have time to go through, but just a culmination of all of these things coming out. So I found myself, um, physically crying to express my emotion. Um, I pick up my son while he's sleeping, you know, and, um, and I've thanked, God, that I have something tangible in my life that's, you know, innocent, if you want to call it that, that as a believer reminds me of God's original intent um, before sin entered the world, you know, for us to be peaceful, for us to be innocent, everything to be beautiful, everything to be miraculous, like that type of thing. So I'm thankful to have him in my life at this mm. time. But it has been a, um, a lot of emotional outpouring, a lot of discussions. I love discussions anyway. I was a history major in college. I went to a historically black school. Um, I was raised um, in a black family, but all with, you know, a white 
society. You know, I went to a really great high school, you know, so I have this whole mix going on. So I always like to have discussions and talk. So Eric has had lots of discussions and talks, you know, with me and I'm bringing in all these things. So I think that's like how one of the ways that I've been processing, but, you know, Eric mentioned, you know, the spiritual aspect and I, and I feel that there's no way as a believer, like as a regenerated person in Christ that you can see these things and not know, okay, this is, these are like the groanings of the earth. This mm. is, this is the effect of wickedness yeah. in the earth. And you can feel that, that weight of darkness. Yeah. And so I have found that, um, one of the things I've been quite grateful for is the time that I've had in this quarantine. And then before, cause I just had a baby to just be in God's word, because if you don't have God's word in your heart, in your spirit, there's no way that you can stand right. in, in these types of times. And yeah. so that's another thing I've been doing to process a lot is a lot of God's word and a lot of praying. Cause I don't know how else to, to stand in a hopeful position, right. you know, with right. all of these things going yeah. on. Yeah. Eric, what's, what's the mood like, around law enforcement right now? Well, um, I can't speak for every officer across the nation, but I know for me personally and for the officers that I work directly with, um, I feel like the mood right now is a combination of frustration and discouragement. Um, And I say that because I think most of us, including myself, you know, we go into this career um, without being a racist you know, wanting to help people, wanting to help our community. I know I joined because I want to serve my country and, and help my community be a safer place. And, you know, so many of us join for that reason. I know, like, like I said, the guys that I work with, I know they join for those reasons. You know, I, I haven't seen any blatant racism, you know, remarks or anything like that. And, you know, day in, day out, we do so much, you know, there's so many things that we have done, you know, to, to help the community. And I think what's frustrating is, you know, you could do a thousand good things, and then an action from one officer, you know, one bad decision uh, from an officer in a different part of the country can just almost erase every good thing you've ever done and just put you in a box. Mm. And now you're labeled as, you know, racist or someone who uses excessive force. Um, and so I think we're just kind of discouraged for that, you know, to be labeled like that as well, yeah. that everyone's just put in a box. You know, there's no doubt there are guys, you know, there are officers throughout the country who, who do have who are racist or who are, who have used excessive force, but not, I think the overall majority, especially the guys I work with are not, you know, and I think it's frustrating for for us who who are not, who are trying to do the good thing um, to be labeled like that. Yeah. Can I add something? Yeah, please. I know it was Eric's question, but so. uh, (laughs) Two is is one, right? (laughs) Right, That's correct. (laughs) But I just want to add in one of the things that we're talking about is, you know, right, um, because this is happening right in the middle of the pandemic Mm -hmm. where first responders, you know, are being praised. And so, Mm -hmm. so you've got a lot of attention on first responders and how they're, you know, they're on the front lines and they're doing all this stuff that um, regular citizens don't have to do, you know, Mm because we can kind of hunker down and, you know, shelter in, but they're out in the community, they're out still, you know, assisting crashes you know he um he was he's been called to suicide calls he's been called you know where people were already deceased he has to interact with these people um and he does it like just goes all in you know to help people um you're answering calls for domestic violence so you're doing all of these things that um that we love about police but then because of the history of our country and not just this one act that happened, you know, but because of the history of bad things that have happened within authoritative positions, it's true. A lot of that gets overshadowed, you know? And so then, um, I, I, 
I live with him and, you know, I walk together with him and I can see how that's hard because, you know, you, and me, you almost feel like, oh, well, I want to defend him. He does all these good things, you know, but then again, at the end of the day, when you're filled with anger and frustration, you just see a white guy, you know, who's got a gun and who's got authority. And mm. you know that there's been several who have used it wrongly, you right. know, so, so I know that that's tough to, that, to get lost yeah. in the middle. Yeah. You said you guys have had many discussions, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, can, you, can you guys uh, let, let us into your living room for a little bit and tell me, like, what are some of those discussions right now? Oh, boy. Well, they've mostly been started by myself, so yeah. I suppose. Sorry, yeah. they've mostly been started by myself, so, um, so I don't mind speaking about them. But uh, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like a lot of our talks... Um, I, I feel inspired to discuss because I think that that's how people grow. And I feel that that's how we discover yeah. what's within ourselves, what sure. we truly believe, you know? So for us as believers, a lot of times I'll ask Eric something like, what do you think about this? How does this make you feel like a regular wife? You know, how do you feel? What is this doing inside? You know? So he's like, uh, <laughs> um, you know, but then, but then I'll like push it, you know, cause I know I'm like, this is important now. Like this is important now to know how are you feeling personally as a person with this? How, um, how do you feel others think about this? So a lot of the times what I'm doing in our house is I'm bringing the perspective of, and it's a hard thing to do because I can't represent the whole African-American community. Right. Uh, part of my life experience has been very different from many African-Americans, the things that I've experienced, the things I've had, um, you know, my father was a successful entrepreneur, you know, so I've been able to travel. I've been highly educated. There's all these things right. that there's a lot of people in my minority group that have not, right. you know, but um, still I, I'm able to bring to Eric say, well, this is how a lot of people are feeling about this, that, and the other. These are things that have happened from slavery on. These are things. So, so a lot of the discussions are me, um, bringing to light some of the things that might get lost in just comments like, yeah, 400 years of slavery, uh, you know, and then it's kind of like, what does that really mean though? What does that really mean for the 21 year old black kid that lives in Providence? Like, is that really relevant? And so I think some of the comments that I make kind of bring the relevance or bring maybe the cultural relevance that people think it has. And, um, and then we can kind of talk back and forth about where does that fit in with the Bible? Because of course, I honestly believe before anything else, I'm a believer. And I think that's what happens when you, when you're truly saved. And I think salvation is a process. Um, but I got saved in college. I was 18, you know, in a historically black school where there were a lot of opinions about white people in other races, you know? Um, and so my life has been developed that I first identify as a believer, then, you know, then I'm African-American, then I'm a woman, then, you know, then all of these other things. And I think it makes a huge difference when you're talking and you're saying, well, what does Christ say about this? What do the prophets Mm. say about this? What is the intention of God's word about Mm. this? What's the spirit behind this? You know, that's kind of our living room. And Eric is such a great husband. I don't really believe he enjoys these conversations, (laughs) but he allows me to have them with him. And I... (laughs) Oh, he's very patient yeah, yeah. so I think they make us grow together yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah what do you say to that Eric <laughs> um, yeah it definitely makes me more like reflective yeah. of things because I think otherwise especially as a law enforcement I think when you go into it 
you know, you don't have too much baggage. And then as time mm. goes on, you deal with so much evil mm. that I think what happens is there almost becomes like a, an emotional numbness that starts happening. Yeah. And you have to constantly combat that. And I think these conversations help me stay grounded, you know, and, and in touch with humanity and real, you know, people, you yeah. know, whereas there, I think it, it's natural for you, you know, you see so much pain and then you just want to forget about it. You want to just shove it down. So it helps me to process and keep me grounded, I yeah. think, yeah. Well, that, that actually sparks a, a question for me mm-hmm. about um, what, do, what do you think happens over time? Because you, most guys, you would say, join for the right reasons, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. have the right heart. Mm-hmm. But, but because of so many times, this keeps happening. Yeah. What do you think the disconnect is, you know, if, if, if there is? You know what I mean? Like, what do you think happens where a person now begins to just violate all kinds of uh, social barriers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And no longer seeing another human being, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. as we're already saying, as believers, we know that that's a heart condition, yeah. right? right? That sin is real, right. right? And it can distort. But what, what, from a law enforcement standpoint, what do you think are the disconnecting mm-hmm. points that happens to people? Yeah, you know, um, I think it's like every day's interaction, you know, if, if, if you have so many negative interactions— and they just keep compounding. It just, it almost starts to make you just think the worst of everyone sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think as a believer, um, and even on a human level, you know, you have emotion. So everyone has an emotion, right? And so people are frustrated. You know, you get pulled over by the police, you're frustrated. Right. So then, you know, you lash out at the officer. And then if every time the officer has an encounter like that, he just starts assuming the worst of everybody. You know, and I think as a believer, you know, who has the Holy Spirit, I have to, I think the Holy Spirit constantly checks me and says, you need to practice self, you know, uh, self-control here. You know, like it's natural that when someone yells at you, you want to yell at them, you know, but how do you, that's not going to fix the problem. It only makes it worse, you know? And so there's that human element that just as time goes on, you just start, you let your emotions just get the best of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, um, and that's probably what happens. It just, it starts compounding over years and years and years um, that you just become, just you just become very negative about everything and i think that's the struggle with with a lot of law enforcement officers is that you just start having a very negative you don't start the career like that but it it just starts because you see so much evil you see so much people lashing out at you you know um it's it can be hard in that respect yeah and as far as you guys like Mm -hmm. clearly you have different life experiences right but you've been able to have this amazing family and coexist so well Uh, how do you how, how have you guys been able to deal with the cultural differences between you two? I had to teach Eric a lot about weaves and oh. wigs <laughs> and the black hair store. <laughs> we have a budget for that. So that's one oh. real talk thing. Yeah. I don't know if that helps anyone. Uh. Um, don't be awkward about it. It's just real. Um, <laughs> so so that's one thing. But I think, uh, honestly, Pastor Margo, I think, I don't know that our cultural experiences are that different. Like, just for example, so we both have parents that are immigrants. My dad came from Nigeria. Both of his parents are are from Brazil. My mom is from Ohio, and her parents were part of the great migration of Black people from the the Deep South. So, you know, so we both have backgrounds with people that 
have come to this country or moved through the country to make a better life, hard workers. Yeah. His, his parents were entrepreneurs. My parents were entrepreneurs. Um, Eric has experienced um, feelings of exclusion. Like he's lived in Mexico before. He's lived in different places where he was uh, judged because he didn't speak um, Spanish well or he spoke Portuguese or this or that. You know, I've experienced exclusion, you know, because I'm black or because, you know, my father is African. People have something to say. You know, so I think... We have similarities. They're different in yeah. the culture because yeah. no one walks around and sees Eric and is like, oh, he's Brazilian Portuguese. Like sometimes between Portuguese people and Brazilian people, Brazilians can be seen as less depending on what circle it is. Right. So you've still got all these elements that on the outside right. between the two of us, you can't see because you see me as black and him as white. You right. know what I mean? So, um, so I think privately in our home, there's a lot more similarities than yeah. there are differences culturally yeah. you know and so when it comes down to culture that's just like maybe like conversations yeah. and like different types of music and different like it's yeah. really literally like culture not like these yeah. are my struggles they're deeper than yours like these are like it's not so much like that yeah um and i again i feel that i really feel like we've been under the covering of god because yeah. we came into it um sincerely as believers intending on growing mm -hmm. believing god put us together in a covenant like all of that type of stuff before yeah. the race thing and before mm -hmm. the other things and we've changed so much as yeah. people in general yeah. just by being married yeah. um over the years you know i just know it's god that has has probably covered us from a lot of stuff that i could see might be a, a point of conflict yeah. in other interracial relationships that do not have God as their center. I don't know how it would be done yeah. without constant issues. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's helpful, if that yeah, answers yeah. the question. Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Eric? Oh, actually, I think she said it very well. I think... Uh, you might... You know, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think she said it very well. Um, you know, in regards to... I didn't even think about that, how, you know, I lived in Mexico, how, you know, Brazilian, Portuguese, and how that can even, there's some conflicts there between mm -hmm. the Brazilian and Portuguese cultures. Um, so that all those things have shaped me, you know, even without me really even knowing that it shaped me to see, you know, to have our similarities in certain respects. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think that's how, and then of course, God being the center keeps us, you know, always aware that all people are made equal. You know, God loves all people and we should reflect the same thing. We should see everyone as equal and love all people. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this then. From, uh, from your standpoint, right, being married to uh, a white law enforcement mm -hmm. officer and then seeing everything that's going on. Right. What does that do to you as a wife? I cry at night. I hold my baby. <laughs> um, but I think... I don't want this to be super Christianese, but I think it's just my truth. You know, when I got married to Eric, Eric was entering into, um, you know, the police, you know, police force. So he was uh, going through his training and everything. So this was, we were dating. He was, he was doing like an internship to learn about it. And then he decided to go for it. He was accepted. And then he went on. So this has been what we've been doing from the beginning. So when we got together, it wasn't necessarily like say the height of, of something like this, something huge, controversial, even though those things were in my past. And so since I had already fallen in love with Eric as Eric and not as his issue, I think that that has been my foundation. So over time, I feel like part of my calling is to have been partnered with him in this season to 
do like what we had talked about to help to ground him, to remind him about humanity, remind him about these are some of the issues that people might be feeling, even mm-hmm. though you don't know. Um, and, and I think on a practical level, just as a police officer's wife, that's tough because you know your husband's going out basically to battle darkness. Like if we're going to say it in a Christian form, but to fight crime, you know. So there's always people. The Bible talks about how there's people that lie awake in their bed at night, coming up with wickedness to do. They're just looking for an outlet. Yeah. And do we not see that now? With you know, so there's this, all these protests and this, and there's people coming in to loot, people coming in to commit acts of violence. There's always people looking to do evil. So I've got a husband that's going out to find evil and stop it. That's a lot of pressure, I think. Yeah. But what I found is the Lord has kept me in peace. And, and I might even say perfect peace, honestly. There's been very few times, a handful of times, where I feel like I've been shaken or I feel like I start to um, get very worried or fearful. And I have to remember, no, this is our call. Like, this is what, this is, this is Eric's calling. God is covering him. God has his life in his hands. He's covering us as a family. And then especially in times like now, where now we've had African-Americans targeted for, you know, violence and all of these things, injustice. So then, you know, we flip the script. And so now white officers are being targeted, you know, as like an eye for an eye type of thing. So is that heavy? Absolutely. What do I have to do about that? I have to pray and I have to believe God. I have to believe God's hand on his life. And I think um, for me, that's just part of what I do, you know, is to bring the conversation if they ever come up. We were talking about this in the car that I have some friends like from college and just other walks of life, not necessarily from the church yeah. that are social activists or, you know, they're very Africana. They have, you know, they're very into um, their ethnicity and their culture. Right. So I know they have a problem that Eric is a white officer. Right. Yeah. But there's nothing for them to say because he's a man of integrity. We serve our church together. You know, we're raising our son in an excellent way. So I know it bothers them. It's like a point of contention, but yeah. they actually like him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so I think my job is to kind of bring unity mm. around that and say, hey, look, this is a person. You yeah. know, like he is a person. He's not just the uniform and the bad things that people do in that position. Yeah, that's good. So, so Eric, with, with that, mm-hmm. then what would you say? Because again, right now, the tension is so, yeah. so high. <laughs> What would you say is the biggest misconception about law enforcement? I think the biggest misconception is that all law enforcement are, you know, racists, and and secondly, that they all that we all use excessive force. I think that's that's false. I think there are, you know, officers who are, like I said, racist or use excessive force. But um, from my experience personally, with with the group of guys that I've worked with for the last, you know, eight and a half years, um, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that at all. You know, the majority of us do have a genuine heart to serve people, to help people, to help our community. And honestly, I look at it as a win if I can go at the end of my shift and not use any force, actually. Like, I'd rather not use any force, you know. Uh, you know and of course, we have, you know, we, we're dealing with criminal activity where we have to arrest people. Um, and I'd say at least 95 to 98% of the time, you know, I say, you know, sir, you have a warrant, you know, you're under arrest and they just comply. They put their hands behind the back. Everything's good. We go back to the, you know, to the station and um, there's no force used at all. And for me, that's a win. If, if every arrest is like that, that's a win, you know, to use force. you know, we don't go into it like wanting to use force. You know, I think yeah. that's, I think people see officers as power hungry, you know, people who just want to, you know, beat people up, um, you know, um, and I think that's just false, you know. Yeah. 
So, but clearly we have a problem, right? Yeah. Clearly we have this happening way mm -hmm. too many times. And to be honest with you, and you, you would, I think you would uh, agree that now technology is just exposing yeah, what's absolutely. been real, yeah. right? So, and I know you guys are a brotherhood, yeah. right? You're very tight. So, so how do you guys face this head on mm -hmm. yeah. to not protect the brotherhood over yeah. these blatantly crimes no, absolutely. that's happening, yeah. you know? I think, um, I know my department is taking serious steps, especially in the last, you know, eight and a half years I've been on um, by, you know, this something called administrative rulemaking, which is basically, you know, rules, policies, procedures, and really getting down to making sure that they're very specific, that there's very specific consequences for any sign of, you know, racial I mean, racism or excessive use of force. And then, of course, so there's that part of it. Um, there's the management part of it, you know, so my department's increasing the amount of supervision we're having um, to actually watch over the patrolmen, you know, to watch over the guys that are out there. And then technology, you know, we're bringing on body cam, um, you know, um, to, and that's obviously going to be on you, showing you, you know, what you're doing in the course of a day. And if someone files a complaint against an officer, now they're going to pull the body cam, they're going to see it, it's going to be hard evidence against the officer. And I think, you know, what they're, you know, what the goal is, is to identify those situations with evidence and to discipline. And, you know, and, and I think that's the steps that law enforcement is taking right now to, to take it very seriously, to, to get rid of those problem, you know, officers who are, you know, doing those things um, okay. that we haven't seen, you know, before, yeah. you know, on camera. Yeah. Yeah. And Roy, you said earlier that your experience has been a little bit different, right? Because of the opportunities you've had, you know, with your family and, and traveling and being educated. Mm -hmm. um, but, but as an educated woman, you know, we have a systemic issue, right, of racism that it's economic, it's educational, right? It's even religious, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. What, what would you say uh, needs to be some course of action that could maybe point us in the right direction? Mm. Um. Again, I love discussions. <laughs> so I feel like um, it's so important for people to talk. And I don't necessarily mean panel discussion, something like that. I just mean normal conversations, talking about what is going on. And, and, um, and, I, and I feel that there is a lot of, since you mentioned the church, I will speak about that too. I feel that there is a lot of division that seeps in because it's worldliness, basically. Right. From a Christian perspective, um, when we say worldliness, we mean someone who's not saved or the ways of the world outside of God's, you know, laws, God's, you know, Jesus's teachings, if you will. Yeah. And so I find that the division of the world seeps into the church, much like everything else, you know, and, and we don't recognize it. And so a lot of times you end up having, um, at least this is what I see and experience. Everyone's saved. Everyone's, you know, praising the Lord. We love it. And blah, blah, blah. But then when you get into your home and you get into the way you were raised or you get into the experiences that you've had, we have these little holes, you know, that we have that don't like show up all the time in conversation, but they come up like maybe when something happens, you get triggered, you know, and I think those are the things that need to be talked about. And so, you know, that's why I was saying in our house, one of the things that we talk about a lot is how are people seen that are not like you? If you have not experienced someone else's life, like say someone who lives in India, India, or someone who lives in Laos. How can I say, oh, such and such and such, or they are la da da da? We don't know. You right. know what I mean? And, and the way that we want to be um, 
taken without judgment or taken for who we are is the same way we have to treat other people, but that's very hard. Yeah. And I think we don't call each other on it enough. Right. And so I think one of the ways that can really fight systemic racism and some of the issues that we say is to call it. I, I really do. Or even to just ask, hey, what do you think about this? Or when you hear a comment that seems a little bit off, say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? You know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or I don't know if I can say this. I guess I'll say it. Um, you know, like when someone says, oh, yeah, you know, the Chinese guy. You don't know if that person's Chinese. Like right. something simple like that that seems simple, right? right. You say, how do you know that person's Chinese? That's always right. I'm like, oh, are they from China? Right. Well, I, I don't know. I don't. Oh, you don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like that little thing that a lot of times we let things go, there's roots in that. And I think if we talk about them, it forces people to look at what am I really believing inside of my life? And I think a lot of times we take those beliefs that are really from our own natural experiences. And then as the church, we put them like in the Bible somehow, like we act mm. like it fits yeah, and it doesn't yeah. fit like yeah. anywhere. Like if you're reading your Bible, there's no way it fits, right. you know? Right. So I think some calling out is good. Um, people don't like that, but I feel like that is where we really grow yeah. and we can get, get some of that off of us. Yeah. So speaking of calling out, right? Yeah. In these moments, obviously, uh, when you say black lives matter, right? Mm-hmm. Some people's reaction automatically is all lives matter. Right. Blue yeah. lives matter, yeah. right? But the reality is, is the black person that keeps getting killed yeah. right. by police, yeah. right? So my question for you then is, maybe it's a challenging one, is like, how do we, how do we still give value to the black life without taking away from the blue life? In a sense, you know what I mean. Like, so from a police officer standpoint, how do you, how do you, I guess, wrestle with that? Mm. That listen, right now, black lives seem to matter less. Yeah. So how do we give credit to that and speak to that? Yeah. Right, and own it. And that doesn't mean we're taken away from you yeah. as a police yeah. officer. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, it's everyone's right to pro- peacefully protest, and I think giving people, allowing people, the room to. To, to speak their voice, to, you know, to grieve, you know, publicly and say we're hurting and to just be a, you know, to, to be an ear, to listen to what people want, you know, uh, are, you know, their complaints or what, you know, what is hurting them. Um, I think that's important is to just respect that grieving process and not to try to overshadow that with, with our own agendas or whatnot, but just to allow that grieving process to take its place, you know, so for, you know, for the Black Lives Matter rallies, you know, to just allow it to, you know, to allow people to have that voice and to not, to try to interfere with that and, and disrupt that. You want to add anything to that, Ray? Of course. How did you know? <laughs> uh, no, it's so well. Um, yeah, I think, like, what Eric said is important, the listening. The, sorry, the listening. Yeah. Um, a lot of times people will shut a deaf ear, you know, they'll turn a deaf ear to it and say, well, all lives matter. Everyone counts. Da, da, da. Yeah, we know that. But, you know, if I brought someone who's who's suffering from domestic violence or who's just been trafficked, that's what I'm talking about right now. Right. You know, don't bring up, you know, oh, well, this happened to me and I was hit by my wife. So it goes both ways. Like, that's not helpful. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And if you were the person who was the victim in that situation, you wouldn't want someone to turn it and bring up an example against what you're saying. It's just common sense, you know, but I feel like, um, people don't use, people don't think of the other as themselves. You know, there's always the other. And I feel like if we had more, um, if we were more introspective or even just took a second and said, 
how would I feel such and such and such? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I think it would be really different. And so, um, so with Black Lives Matter, we wouldn't have a movement like this if it didn't, if we didn't have years of it not mattering, right. you know, yeah. and it would probably go away if they started to matter, right, <laughs> you know, yeah, like right. if our lives started to matter, yeah. you know, we wouldn't have this, you know, and vice versa. And that's just the way it's been throughout history. When there needs to be a change, you see a movement of demonstration. You see a movement of taking a stand until laws change and things change. This is how people get things done, you right. know? Right. So I do think that it's really important to, um, allow people to speak and then be willing to listen. And we, we were just talking about um, some of it because, you know, on social media, it's very busy. You know, everyone right. has an opinion. Everyone's posting something. But basically, people are posting out of hurt, frustration from mm-hmm. some angle. But um, we were talking about some of the things that are posted where it's like, this is just not helpful. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? This right. is not helpful to post things mm-hmm. that seem to be anti this or show oh, white officers being killed by black people, right? We know that happens. But what we're talking about right. is this. And right. there's no, there's none of that on your page. There's right. only this. Right. That's not helpful. Right. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's just being open to listen to someone who is hurt, just like you would a friend or a parent yeah. or something like that, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 Any, um, any other thing that you guys would want to add thinking towards solutions? Obviously, this is a mm-hmm. massive yeah, uh, issue in our society. But what are some other things you think would be helpful? Hmm. <clears throat> well, actually, I mean, just last week, just after the, the George Floyd incident, I was working in the station. We have to work the desk once a week. And a, uh, a young African-American woman walked in. She looked college age. And she just asked me, how can I become a police officer? And I just thought that was, it was amazing because, you know, most people would just not try to be part of a solution. They, you know, they, they just want to, like I said, create destruction or whatnot. But here's a, here's a woman who is African-American and she's saying, you know what, I want to be part of the solution. I want to figure out how can I join the force? How can I start being the change? And I think we need more of that. I think we need more people, Christians, minorities, to step up, to be courageous, to join, you know, law enforcement and to be the change that, you know, we need to be the voice for, for those who, who have been hurt in the past. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, I think just to bring it down on a local on a local level or with, you know, and I don't know, like say for the church, I'll just go with that because yeah. that's, that's, you know, probably our biggest subculture outside of sure. his job, you know, would probably be our activity yeah. in our church mm-hmm. family um, and things like that. I feel like it's important to... Um, Again, and I don't want to be repetitive, but I just see it so much. I think it's important to point out when there's divisive language and because it's a spirit, you know, and I don't know if this is like too deep or anything, but these are all spirits. Like we live in a spiritual world. So we have a spirit of disunity. We have a spirit of violence. There's a spirit of, you know, poverty. All these things are spirits. So when you hear division in conversation, that spirit can be divisive in any way. It doesn't necessarily have to be racial. It can be all sorts of things. And so I think it's important for us as believers to check ourselves and say, is this how Jesus was speaking? Is this what he was talking about when he's telling people, oh, don't worry about, you know, this and that. You need to worry about eternal life. You need to worry about your soul. You need to worry about this. Does this match that and then call it and you know call it because um there's just so much division in politics so much division in race and i think there are some some areas where we give it a pass and we're like oh well this is a christian issue so it's okay for me to be um 
this sounds stupid, but mean to right. another group because right. they don't believe like yeah. me. And I'm like, right. that doesn't make any sense. No. That's yeah. not biblical. Right. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there's not enough of that. And so then we get these pockets, even within the church, yeah. while we're doing good things, blessing yeah. people through the food pantry, helping yeah. the lost, right? We still have these things. And I think it just brews and grows. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like for those of us that are in, we really just need to do a heart check with the Lord and say, yeah. Lord, I am passionate about these um about these laws or these rights or such and such and such, how can I do that? Yeah. And how can I show my passion and loyalty to your name and still be um, someone who works in unity, yeah. someone who's yeah. accepting, someone who's trying to cover others? How can yeah. I do that? Absolutely. And I think it's something that God reveals to us, yeah. you know, yeah. but I think it's, it's the personal work yeah. that we need to do as well in our heart. That's good. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. So you, I'm, I'm going to ask you this, but in, in law enforcement, yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of training, mm-hmm. physical training, yeah. you know, combat training. Are there any trainings and how to be a bridge in the community? Like the law enforcement do any of that training as far as like, you know, you're going to go into this neighborhood yeah. and do they teach about like certain neighborhoods and yeah, how to approach yeah. people and all that? Yeah. I mean, so what you're referring to is community policing. Yeah. That would be the term that, um, that would be for that kind of training. And uh, they definitely do train, you know, community policing, um, basically theories or, or, uh, ideas, you know, and how to do that. And I think it really, in order for it to actually be implemented, it has to, it has to start from the top. I mean, actually, you know, it, it can even start from the bottom where each individual officer says, I want to be part of my community and I want to, you know, um, hear what people have to say, you know, yeah. hear, be, you know, include people in, you know, how can, you know, coming up with tactics of how do we deal with certain issues in this community? Um, but, um, you know, we, we do get training on that. It's just not, not every department puts a, a, a focus on that, you yeah. know? So it's really per department to really want to do that. Yeah. You know, cause I remember growing up, um, yeah. the, the police officers stood out to, to me and yeah. to my friends were the ones that would come around, but they, they were friendly. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. knew how to hold their position. But yeah. they were still friendly. Okay, yeah. And so that gives you that, like, respect. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I remember, like, as a teenager feeling like, oh, I can respect that dude over there yeah. because he comes around, like, not bossy. Yeah. You know, but then there was the ones that would be, yeah. you know, always, like, trying to show that they're the... Yeah. It's like, you already wear the uniform. Mm-hmm. If you just bring the respect, then it's easier to gain that respect. You know what I mean? That's some of the yeah. things that are... Sounds like common sense. Common sense, right? But yeah. somehow, I think some people given power, yeah. they gets to their head... You know, where they just want to show their authority versus yeah. the fact that your your authority is to actually serve mm-hmm. this yeah. community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not overpower, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think also um, there's something else that right now they're talking about in law enforcement is procedural justice, which is, you know, how do you, how do you end at the outcome? You know, so if someone's going to get arrested, the procedure of how you get there matters. You know, how you speak to the person, how you treat the person, you know, you answer their questions. And so when you do that the person's not necessarily mad that they got arrested or they got a ticket. They're just, they're actually, they're just happy that they were treated like a human being, that they were treated with respect. And that's like what is most important. You know, we're still doing our job, but it's in a courteous way. Yeah. You know, and and, and to, to, this reminds me of what you just said about the church. And I think to me as a pastor, that's where the disconnect is in the church is that we have a tendency to categorize people Mm -hmm. on save or unsaved or, you know, holy or not holy, as opposed to human. Right. Yeah. I think if Jesus was here, 
he would say, I didn't come to start a religion, right? I came to start a movement yeah. of people yeah. who would live by my will and my purpose with mm. my spirit. And I think to me, that's where I think some of the frustration is in the capital C church is there's this lack of seeing humanity. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if we see people, right. then it's easier to have a conversation right. when yeah. you see another human being, not the category of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where are we putting you in a certain spiritual category? Yeah. So again, we can go on and on about yeah. all these things and they're layered, you know, the, yeah. but the goal is to just have these conversations, have yeah. these dialogues Absolutely. and prayerfully that, uh, as God's people, we're able to kind of lead the way on yeah, some of these absolutely. some of these things, you know. Yeah. Um, so I guess my last question for today, because again, we can go on and yeah. on, would be, you know, having a a, a young man now that you're yeah. going to raise, <laughs> right? And he's going to grow up in this diverse mm-hmm. society. Yeah. How do you envision teaching him to maneuver through this stuff? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it would be to have real conversations, you know, obviously age appropriate as he's growing up about not only the history of racial tension, but then also from my perspective as a, you know, as a white man, then also as, you know, Ray can, can talk on her perspective. Um, but then also, I mean, I think it comes back to the Bible and as believers teaching, bringing our children up in biblical wisdom, you know, so even, you know, teaching my son about, you know, Romans 13 and, and respecting authority, you know, whether or not you agree or disagree, you still respect because that's what God says, you know, to do or, or Proverbs, you know, how I always remember, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath, you know? Mm. So the way you speak, you know, the way you act um, and teaching him these, these wisdom principles so that, you know, when he does, you know, interact with a law enforcement officer as, you know, as a biracial um, man um, that he can apply, you know, the hope is that he will live out these biblical principles and, kind of diffuse situations that could get out of hand, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and just have peace and love and, and forgiveness in, in different situations. Yeah. You know, it's good. And I know one of the things that is important to me is like what you were saying, you know, just seeing people as people. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been my heart, you know, since we decided we were going to have a baby, you know, I've been like, my love, we are going to talk to him about mm-hmm. he's a person, like he's not better than anybody else, yeah. you know, and I think we hear that a lot with kids because it's just like, oh, you're, you're the best, you know, you're the best. It's not because you're my son, you're the best, you know, it's like, yeah, like I know you're the best, but also like, so the other kid's not the best, like, no, we're all, you know, we're all people. Yeah. And um, so that's something that I think I'm excited to, to share and, and hopefully see mm. him grow into being someone who is really open and inclusive with others and yeah. really sees himself as a child of God and therefore sees others as yeah. children of God or creations of God, like, you yeah. know, whether they're in church or not, yeah. just that they're all valid because they're human, you right. know? And so I think that's something that's important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys Yeah, thank for, you. for being willing to do this. I know it's not easy, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't, it's very challenging. I know it's challenging for you right now. Yeah. And uh, I just want them to know, like, it all started with just, I just felt like I should reach out to our fellow police officers and just to mm-hmm. see, how you guys were doing. And then from there sparked this whole, like, let's have a conversation, yeah. which we hope it happens all across, right? We yeah. hope it happens in every living room, yeah. um, in every home in America, Absolutely, right? Yeah. That we can be better by starting to dialogue, right? Yeah. By starting to have a conversation. And for us believers, we believe that one of the ultimate conversations is with God, yeah, right? We need, to, we need to pray. Yeah. We know we need to, we believe that our prayers do affect the atmosphere, yeah. right? right? I know last sun, this past Sunday, I talked about how, this region um, was highly affected by Frederick Douglass who escaped slavery and yeah. came here. And I believe the reason why we have seen such uh, 
progress maybe in in the east versus the south sure. is yeah. these years and years oh, of sowing, yeah. right? Yeah. Of pushing back the darkness. And so I think mm-hmm. we need that all yeah. around, right? And and so let's not underestimate the power of prayer, yeah. right? That that it's in Exodus it started with God said, I heard the cry yeah. right. of my people. Yeah. Right. And he said, I'm gonna send Moses yeah. to to begin to begin this emancipation yeah. process. Um, and I think God can hear our cries, yeah. right? And I think that's where we need to, to take it. And not just the cry of help, but the cry of lamenting of, yeah. of these mm-hmm. souls yeah. have been lost, like right. George Floyd. Right. Oh, yeah. um, and I think we need to lament. I think we need to cry. I think we need to be upset, be angry, right. but channel it towards right. yeah. him. And then, and then take that energy back to, okay, how can we help each other yeah. you know, overcome this? So again, it's going to be a long process, but I think it all starts with mm-hmm. a plea and a cry Amen. to God and to each other, right? Yeah that we yeah. can go somewhere. So right. I would love for us to, to close in prayer. And I'm going to ask you, Varey, to, to close us in prayer today. <laughs> Amen. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, we thank you for your presence. Your presence is powerful. Yes, your presence is truth. Your yes. presence is love. Yes, God. Your presence is forward moving. Yes, Lord. Um, Lord, we ask for your presence in this time, in our nation, in our world. Yes, um, in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships yes, with Lord. kids, with our coworkers, yes, with our yes, neighbors, Lord. Lord, in our church. Yes. We ask for your presence, God, that, that you would walk with us yes, and that we would acknowledge you, hmm. that we would be like the disciples who were with you every day, yes, day in, day out, um, night and day with you in every circumstance, learning what your perspective was on yes, life, Lord. on humanity, on the future, on yes, eternity. Lord. Um, I pray that we would be like that, yes, that we Lord. would walk with you, your presence would be tangible, Jesus, and that yes, we would Lord. be changed every day. Yes, um, those of us that think we're so forward-thinking yes, and that we're, we've got all the answers, Lord, change us, change yes, us, yes, show Lord. us the truth um, for the moments that we have to live in and for the Thank people you, that we have yes, to Lord. affect. Um, and so we just say that may you be glorified yes, through the times that we live in, God. May you be glorified through this pandemic. May yes, you be Lord. glorified um, through the um, the sufferings, Lord, of yes. people that have lost um, children to the hands of, of, of wrongful policing, oh God. May you be yes, glorified uh, yes, through the fight for justice. Yes, and God. we just pray that when we look back on this, we will see Christ yes, and we God. will see your healing and your deliverance yes, and your justice, God. Thank you, Jesus. So I just pray you would give us a spirit of submission yes, to you. Um, give us a heart for unity, yes, God. And um, we just pray that you would fill us with hope yes, uh, during these hopeless times, that, that we would have faith yes, that, yes, that you are still good. So we thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. in Jesus' name. Yes, Amen. 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 You know, like I've been saying every week, um, share, because we want people to be part of the conversation. And let's not gloss over this thing. You know, let's really, let, let, it, let it make us uncomfortable, you know, and let us have these dialogues. Because I'm, I'm optimistic that, that through this, uh, there's breakthrough. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's something going on in the atmosphere. Yeah. And it's a nationwide thing right yeah. now. And I'm believing that God's going to do some, some powerful things. So, th- again, thank you so much for you. being willing to come and have this conversation. You're welcome. All right. God bless you guys. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.